fall asleep, and he just wanted to talk about everything and ask me about all the places we're going to Israel. And it was, it was good. And then, he, and then we started talking about, he realized the fact that uh, his seat didn't have as much legroom as he thought, because apparently he had paid an extra $100 to get this economy plus seating, right? So he'd have this little, he was a little guy, so I don't know what he needed it for. I needed it. I'm a big guy. And uh, he starts talking about, man, this, this seat is just not, it's not very big, you know? I can't believe I paid extra. He's all, I'm all, you paid extra for these? That's awesome. I got, I got hooked up and I didn't even know it. I got a bigger seat. He's all, you didn't pay for the seats? <laughs> I'm all, no, I just, I just came on the trip, man. I got a, apparently got hooked up, you know? And uh, he was so upset and he ranted for like half an hour while I'm Benadryl, just trying to keep my eyes open and not be rude. Ranted for me for like half an hour about how upset he was about how he had paid for these economy seats and how he didn't get to sit in these seats. Pretty funny. Time goes on. I fell asleep. I woke up, and I don't, maybe he was talking the whole time, I don't even know, but I woke up, and he started talking to me again about this bagel. He got a bagel, and it was really upset because it was hard and frozen. <laughs> I kind of had my headphones on, I'm like, uh-huh, you know, like, sorry about your bagel, man. It was really funny. It was, maybe it was only funny because I was on drugs, I don't know, but it was funny, as airplanes are. Anyways, Israel was phenomenal. I, I, we, we took a church trip there, for you guys that don't know, about 24 of us, some of you guys that are here, um, took a trip to Israel for about um, two weeks or so, saw a lot of sights there, and that was just an amazing, amazing time. Um, God really showed me some pretty life-changing things, and I want to share one of those things with you tonight, if that's okay, um, specifically a text um, that I was able to teach in Israel, um, and uh, so we're going to look at that. Let's pray, and uh, we'll get into it. God, uh, Lord, you're so much, uh, so much greater, Lord, than everything uh, that we have. You're so much greater than everything that we know, Lord. Um, Lord, you're the ultimate joy. You're the treasure hidden in the field, God. Um, tonight, Lord, if there's any of us that are here that um, are just hurting, Lord, that are struggling from life, um, God, sometimes life is really hard. Um, I pray, Father, that you would send your Holy Spirit to bring comfort and peace and, and rest in your strong arms, Jesus. Uh, if there's anyone here tonight, God, that is um, just struggling, Lord, with sin, struggling with issues, with failure, with, um, with hurt, God, that you would give them strength, Father, um, that you would be their strength. God, if there's anyone here tonight that's just here because that's what they do, they're just going through the motions, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would awaken them um, with fresh joy, fresh passion, fresh wind, God, in their sails to push them uh, to you, God. Lord, I pray that you would empower me. Lord, give me the words to say, to share this truth. Um, I pray that, Lord, this would be enlightening, um, that it would cause us to love your scriptures more, cause us to love your son Jesus more, and to have a better understanding of the God that we love and serve. In Jesus' name, amen. If you guys got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 16. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 20. So we usually, we're going through the book of Mark on Wednesday nights. We're going to take a little detour tonight, and we're just going to, we're going to take a chunk of this. this. This story will come up in Mark, I believe, later, and maybe Jeff will kind of brush through it, but um, I just wanted to go verse by verse through this. This is one of my favorite sections of Scripture. It really is. I remember the first time I heard this taught, um, it just completely blew my mind. Um, what an amazing question that Jesus asks these disciples as we're going to look at. What an amazing answer that Peter responds at. Um, what I didn't understand, what I didn't know, was the importance and the power of the context in which where it happened. In other words, like, like I didn't understand that it's, it's even a more powerful text if I were to actually be where it took place where it was said, where the questions were asked. Having sat there, having been there, it just made me realize, um, first of all, what an amazing teacher Jesus really was, um, how he used the things around him to illustrate things, but it just made me realize the magnitude of what Jesus is saying 
here in these, in these verses. So let's just dive right in. It says in verse 13, Matthew chapter 16. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, okay? So when we were in Israel, we, 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 for a few days, we saw different things. We went to Galilee. We went to uh, Tel Aviv, different places. We drove up north from Galilee. So if you're going up Israel, north, up from Galilee, up to the northern parts of Israel. Um, and we went into the Golan Heights, okay? This area called the Golan Heights. You might have heard about it on the news. It's been a pretty war-torn area for a lot of years. And in the Golan Heights... There's a place uh, that's just a ruin now, but it was a city, uh, a city for quite a few years, called Caesarea Philippi, okay? And Caesarea Philippi is where this story takes place that we're going to read about today. Um, But interestingly enough about it, um, you're driving through the desert as you approach the city, okay? It's dark, or not dark, it's brown, it's it's dry, and you're going through this desert place, and then all of a sudden you kind of just hit this green patch, Right? whoa, this is kind of weird. When you're in Israel and you hit a green patch, it's kind of weird. Um, there's a spring there. There's a natural spring. It's actually one of the main um, sources of flow that, that fills up the Jordan River. And on that spring is the city of Caesarea Philippi. They put it there um, on purpose. It's extremely interesting. Um, they built the city basically at the foot of this giant rock cliff, about 100 feet high and about 500 feet wide, this giant rock cliff. And at the foot of that, they would have built Caesarea as well as they would have built two temples. They would have built a temple to uh, Caesar. And if you guys don't know, Caesarea isn't Caesarea, it's actually Caesarea. It's a city dedicated to Caesar. Um, So Caesarea Philippi, built by Philippi. Um, So Caesarea Philippi, at the foot of this giant cliff with these two temples, one to Caesar and the other one to the god Pan, which is a Greek god. You guys probably have seen before, picture like sheep legs with the little pan flute. I don't have to dance like that much longer for you to get it. You know what I'm talking about? The little horns? Like, that's Pan, okay? That's the god Pan. He was the god of fertility, the god that would uh, be the critic of um, plays and, and of theater and things like that. So they had, this was the place that Pan was worshipped, okay? I'm going to show you a picture here if I, can, if I can get it to work. So you can kind of get an idea of what... Caesarea Philippi looked like, okay? So this is the giant rock cliff. Now, this is, just a, this is just a painting. I want to show you what it would have looked like because obviously they didn't have digital cameras 2,000 years ago. This was one of the temples. This was the other temple. If you see right here, sorry for you guys over there, um, there's a cave directly behind one of those temples. And this cave is pretty immense. It's got a pretty big mouth. And behind that cave was where the spring would have flowed out, okay? You can see kind of what it looks like today. So you roll up, and it just looks like basically the entrance to a giant cave. Over here, you see some of the carved places where they would have set the actual statues of Pan. You can see the water coming out here. And then lastly, um, another picture of some of those carvings. Kind of crazy, right? So the interesting thing about this, okay, and I want you to tuck this away in your mind as we kind of press on here, um, is that they believe this place to be, you have the two temples and then there's this giant, as I said, this giant cavern, this giant cave. They believe that to be the gates of hell, okay? The gates of Hades. Because they believe that's where um, the undead would basically enter uh, this other realm or whatever. This is what they believed. It was considered to be the gates of hell, okay? Um, Keep that in mind. That's important. This is where our story takes place. Now, also, because this is a pagan place, because it's a pagan city, um, there's all kinds of rampant sin going on, 
okay? Um, they would come into the city to worship to the God of Pan, and guess what? He's the God of fertility, okay? So they're doing some crazy stuff in that city. I won't go into detail about what they're doing, but they're doing some crazy sinful stuff, okay? This is a Roman-controlled place. This is in the northern parts of Israel, and as you guys probably know, and Jeff's been talking about it a lot, the northern parts of Israel were constantly, constantly in false god worship. They were constantly worshiping other gods. Before this, they were worshiping Baal, before the Greeks came in. And now they're worshiping the gods of the Greeks and the Romans. That's just how it's going. So this is extremely pagan city. Jesus brings his disciples up to this place to have this conversation with them up to the gates of hell. Okay? Let's read on in our story. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, we know where that is now, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? What a question. <laughs> I don't know what it was. I, I, maybe just being in a place like that where there's so much spiritual tension. Maybe being in a place like that where you can go to somewhere like Jerusalem and walk one block and all of a sudden you're in a Muslim quarter and all of a sudden you can walk another block and you're in a Jewish quarter, walk another block and you're in a Christian quarter where you can literally be one house away and be in a section that is completely devoted to an entirely different religion, where one religion hates the other. <laughs> I've never been in that tense of a place before, but maybe it was just being in somewhere like that, like Jerusalem, somewhere like that, in Israel, where there's so much religious, religious tension that I realized just the magnitude and the weight of this question that Jesus asks his disciples. Who do people say that I am? I mean, this is a huge question. This is just a huge question for Jesus at that time. It's a huge question for us today. At that time, Jesus was healing. He was doing a lot of controversial things. As you know, the Pharisees were unhappy about what he was doing, the way he was doing his ministry. They were out to get him. So he was an extremely controversial figure at that time. So that's a big question for them. And guess what? He's still an extremely controversial figure 2,000 years later. You guys find that interesting? Talk about the relevance of Jesus. You know, is the Bible old? Is the Bible outdated? Does the Bible not have answers for today? No, it does. 2,000 years later, and the same question has, I'm sorry, billions of people wanting to know the answer. Who is Jesus? You got one and a half billion Muslims who think he's one thing. You got another one and a half billion Christians, Catholics, Eastern Orthodox that believe he's another thing. You have six billion people in the world, and most of them have thought about or arguing about or want to know who is Jesus. This is a phenomenal question. This is a big question. It's a question we have to ask, that we have to think about, that we have to ponder. Who does the world say that I am? So Jesus comes to his disciples and he asks them that question. Who are people saying that I am? Now, if you want to find out what people think about you, you don't ask them because people to your face will probably lie to you, right? I think you're a great guy. You smell good. You don't have any body odor. If you really want to find out what they think of you, you got to go to the other people and say, hey, what are they saying about me? Yeah, they're saying you have body odor, right? That's what, not that that happens to me, just not pulling from personal experience. Um, awkward. Um, just kidding. But seriously. Uh, this is how you find out what people say about you. So Jesus pulls his disciples aside in Caesarea Philippi. He says, guys, what's the word? What are people saying about me? What's the word about me? What do people think? Who do people think that I am? And he answers, he says, or I'm, just, I'm sorry, his disciples answer. And they say, some people say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Okay, so some people think Jesus at this time is John the Baptist. 
Um, why would they think he's John the Baptist? Well, that probably was a rumor started by Herod. If you guys remember Herod, okay, not Herod the Great that killed all the babies in the Christmas story, but Herod uh, about 10, 20, 30 years later down the road, okay. Herod, if you guys remember, I think John, or John, I think Jeff taught about this um, a few weeks ago. Herod called out, I'm sorry, John the Baptist called out Herod for having a promiscuous relationship with his brother's wife. Remember that? And because of that, his brother's wife promiscuously got her way and got Herod to behead John the Baptist. As Jesus said, the greatest man that ever lived, the forerunner of Christ, was beheaded because of that sinful um, lifestyle. So Herod, knowing that John the Baptist was a great man, knowing that John the Baptist had the favor of God, was really excited to do that, didn't want to do that, but he did it anyways. And as such, he's scared that John the Baptist has been reincarnated and Jesus is the reincarnation of, Jesus, or of John the Baptist and he's coming to get him. Okay, so this is some kind of rumor that would have been started at that time. So some people are saying, Jesus, he's probably John the Baptist. He's reincarnated. Some people are saying that he's Elijah, right? Um, now, according to Messianic prophecy, if you guys remember in the Old Testament, it talks about how Elijah must come before the Messiah comes. Elijah will come. He says, I'll send my prophet Elijah. So some people think that. Some people think that he's Jeremiah. That was interesting to study. Why would people think Jesus was Jeremiah? Apparently there was a Jewish tradition um, that Jeremiah would actually return the hidden Ark of the Covenant and the altar of incense. So these tools that were used um, ritualistically in the way that they worshiped God in the temple. They believed Jeremiah was going to return these hidden things. So the truth is no one knows who he is, right? They're making assumptions. Some people say uh, he's a prophet. They don't know who he is. What are people saying nowadays? Let's talk about that a little bit. Who do people think that Jesus is nowadays? We got Hinduism, okay? And I'm not an expert on Hinduism, but I did a little reading. Hinduism, their God is essentially formless, okay? They don't necessarily believe that their God has a specific form. They believe that their God takes multiple forms. So for them, at least the majority of Hinduism, they accept Jesus. They say, we'll take him. He's probably some sort of probably some sort of um, manifestation of our true God. So they have no problem with Jesus, okay? But do they believe he's the one true God? No. Do they believe that he was who he claimed to be? No. They believe that he was maybe a manifestation of God. You have Islam, okay, the Muslims. Believe it or not, they actually have an opinion about Jesus too. What do you know? Jesus is actually mentioned 25 times in the Islamic Quran. 25 times, I didn't know that. They believe that Jesus was the sixth messenger of God. Um, if you guys, Muhammad being the seventh, okay, that Jesus was actually a prophet of God. They believe that he was sent to the children of Israel, um, but they believe that the historical accounts that we have or that we hold as Protestant or Catholic or whatever Christians, they believe that that is not the true actual understanding of what Jesus came to say. They believe that was lost and that we don't actually have that anymore. Um, so they, they believe it was altered, basically. Judaism, they believe Jesus is not a prophet, not Messiah, not the Son of God. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. It was actually really interesting. I think uh, Bella and I were talking to a couple of the, the guys while we were waiting to go in one of the tours that were construction guys, and it was so funny just hearing their attitude, and Bella was saying something about Jesus, and, and their response was, you need to go study. <laughs> these, Jew, these Jewish boys that were raised in Israel, like, you need to go study. You don't know your Bible, you know. For them, they just think it's ridiculous, that Jesus is just the stumbling clock for them. He's not the Messiah. He's not the fulfillment of Scripture. Um, he's not the Son of God. He's not even a prophet. They just believe he was nothing. 
Okay? So the Jews are still, 2,000 years later, they're still trying to preserve their orthodoxy. They're still waiting for the temple to be built. They're still waiting for their sacrificial system to be set up to where they can worship God in the way that the Old Testament commands. They, they don't believe in Jesus. You have Buddhism. Honestly, Jesus has no importance to them. They don't really, they don't care. <laughs> um, you have a, a very popular religion in our country right now, Unitarian and Universalist. You guys heard about that? These are the people that, and you're going to hear a lot of this increasingly more because it's extremely trendy right now, especially in Hollywood, to be like, oh, we just embrace all religions, okay? All religions. And, and the way they, they get around that is they say, well, yeah, Jesus is right for you if that's what you believe. And Jesus is God if you believe he's God, but I'm going to believe that this God is my God, so therefore it's right, which doesn't really make any sense to me, but that's okay. You believe whatever you want to believe, I'll believe whatever. And they're all right, and all paths lead to one God. And it actually sounds a lot like the Hinduism religion, to be honest. But the Unitarian Universalist would just say, yeah, Jesus, Jesus could be, you know, God. If you he, if he wanted to be God, that's fine. We're just open-minded and whatever. Do whatever you want, believe whatever you want, and we'll all live together on purple rainbows. Um, you have the Mormons. I'm sorry, was that too far? That was, that was too far. Um, the Mormons believe uh, that Jesus was a created being, okay? They believe he's the created son of God, um, the brother to Lucifer, okay? They believe that he has attained his godliness and that we too can attain our level of godliness, okay? The Jehovah's Witnesses believe the son of God um, is not a Trinitarian. They believe that he's lesser than God, okay? I don't know as much about the Jehovah's Witnesses, but I know they don't believe him to be God as we do. A lot of things you're going to hear about Jesus today in our culture, okay, again, on the subject of who is Jesus. You're going to hear he was a good man. A lot of people, 84% of this country believes that Jesus existed. Did you know that? 84% believes that Jesus existed. But most people are going to say, at least the secular uh, side of this country is going to say, yeah, he was a good man. He said some cool things. He said some teachings. I have them on my fridge next to Gandhi. Um, I have them on my fridge next to Muhammad quotes. Um, yeah, he was, a, he was a good man. He was smart. He was, he was loving. He had some good teachings. Um, they're going to say things like that. Um, they're going to say maybe he didn't exist. Um, I actually just read a thing on Facebook um, the other day that was really interesting um, about how the Romans had invented Jesus to try to get control over the Jews, which I thought was really interesting. Um, but this was kind of like that Unitarian Universalist group having a conversation about how Jesus never existed, and that was one of their things. Um, some people would say, Jesus is my homeboy, right? Okay? Who is Jesus? He's my homeboy. He's on my shirt. You know, what's up? Um, which is silly. Uh, some people would say, and this might get me in trouble, some people would say he's an anorexic white dude on a cross, question mark? And they would probably say it like that too. You mean that guy on the cross that looks like he needs to eat a snack, you know, with the long hair and he's really white for some reason, even though he's Middle Eastern? Some people would say, that, is that the Jesus? I don't know, you know? Um, I watched a YouTube thing today of them going around the city in New York asking people who they thought Jesus was and that was one of them. You mean that anorexic dude on the cross, yeah, with the thing and this, the halo? Yeah, that's who thinks Jesus was. Um, some people think, uh, He's just someone that wants to be my friend and give me a better life. Doesn't want me to worship, love, or obey him. Just kind of wants to be chill with me. You know, yeah, Jesus, me and him are chill, you know, um, along with all the other gods in my life. There's a lot of opinions, and I just covered a few. <laughs> I just covered some of the major world religions. I covered some of the opinions of people in our country that you're going to come up against. But the reality is that everyone has an opinion about Jesus, Right? Everyone has an opinion about Jesus. Everyone has an idea of who they think he is, um, what they think he came to do. 
And I think it's phenomenally interesting that Jesus takes a second with his disciples to say, Who are, what's the buzz, guys? Who are people saying that I am? And 2,000 years later, we're having the same conversation. I think that's extremely interesting. Verse 14. Their answer, they said, some John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now the first question he asks them, who the people say that I am? It's a fairly easy question. I mean, how hard is it really for you as a Christian when someone comes up to you in your workplace and says, hey, what is your church belief? Oh, we believe that Jesus is God. We believe that he came and died for a blow. You know, it's not really that hard. When someone comes up to you and says directly, hey, what do you believe? Or someone comes up to you and says, hey, what does America believe? You're in a, you're in a foreign country and say, what do Americans as a majority believe? You probably say, yeah, we're, we're mostly Christian, right? It's not hard to say that. It's not hard to say what other people believe. What's really hard to say is what you believe. That's where it really gets interesting. That's where it really gets raw. I experienced this when I worked in the secular workforce, when I worked in retail, and for two years, um, I'd be folding clothes and having conversations, and one of the guys that I worked with, he was actually Jewish, and he claimed his Jewish heritage, but he knew nothing about it, which was made for really interesting conversations. Um, I asked him one time what his code for morality was. He said, I just live by the golden rule. I said, what's that? He said, do unto others as others to you. <laughs> you want others to do unto you? I said, really? He said, do you know where that came from? He said, no. I'm like, it came from the Bible. He said, oh, interesting. He said, well, I don't believe the Bible. I'm like, what about the first five books? <laughs> He's all, no, I don't believe those. I'm like, you know, that's the, the Jews believe in the first five books, right? So it was, it was kind of interesting, just the, didn't really understand um, what he was saying there. But really good conversation I had with this. But where the rubber really met the road with this guy, he starts asking me these questions. Well, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And it was really easy when he said, well, what would Christians say about abortion? What would Christians say about gay marriage? What would Christians say about this? And I could say, well, some Christians say this, and some Christians say that. And the Bible says this, and the Bible says that. But when he says, well, what do you think? It's kind of like, oh, well, <laughs> I'll tell you, you know, it gets a little more personal. And this is what Jesus does. He doesn't just care about the generality. What is everyone else saying about me? Who does everyone else think that I am? He wants the specific. He wants to go straight to the heart. He says, who do you think that I am? Who do you say that I am? That's what he asks. So Simon Peter replies. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Anybody get goosebumps when you read that? I mean, this is Peter, Okay. I'm just saying, this is Peter, okay? He's not the most, like, always say the right thing kind of guy. Let's just face it. And we know enough about him to know that he usually had his foot in his mouth, right? So we think of Peter. He just said the wrong thing. He jumped out and chopped the guy's ear off. Whoops. He He just wasn't always doing the right thing. And yet, here Peter pipes up. Peter Piper. Peter pipes up and says this amazingly profound thing. Now, why is it profound? Why is it profound? You are Christ, the son of the living God. Why is that profound? Two reasons. First of all, he says you're the Christ. Okay, if you could split that in half, you're Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ. What's he saying when Jesus is saying you're the Christ? To us, that's become a cliche word. That's become, not cliche, but that's, that's just a word we hear all the time in our Christian culture, right? Christ. What does that mean? He says, you are the Christ. He's saying that you are the one that for thousands of years, from Adam and Eve, when God said that he would crush the head of the snake, that through the loins of man would come one that would crush the head of the snake, that Isaiah prophesied of 600 years before, that that for thousands of years we've been waiting for this one to come and to save his people, 
That's you. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one that the scriptures have been telling us about. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You're the one that's going to bring peace. You're the one that's going to bring life. You're the one that's going to rule and reign. That's what Peter's saying. It's a phenomenally insightful thing for Peter to say, especially the fact that Jesus, to this point, has been pretty vague. He comes in with this amazingly phenomenal truth, and he speaks it. The second thing is, he says, you're the Christ, and then he says, you're the son of the living God. What does that mean? Why is that important? Because he's not just saying he's the Messiah. He's saying he's deity. We just talked about the biggest differential between Christianity and other religions is usually, is Jesus God or not? Do the Mormons believe that he's God? Well, they'd say he's a God, but he's not God. Do the Muslims believe he's God? No, he was a prophet. Do most of Americans believe he's really God? No, he was a good man, right? No, Peter says he's God. You're not just Christ the Messiah. You're Christ the Messiah and your deity. You're the one that was there from the beginning of the foundations of the earth. You breathed stars. God created the heavens and the earth through you. The power of God, as Colossians says, right? This is an amazingly profound truth that Peter spills from his heart. And was it put there by Peter? No. Did Peter conjure that up? Did he think that up in his head? No, he didn't. It was the Holy Spirit. Jesus answers in verse 17, he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Guys, I've seen enough, I mean, I'm not very old, but I've seen enough of the world to understand that truthfully, we just don't get it right very often. You know what I mean? I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Obama. I don't care if you're a world leader. I don't care if you're a politician, if you're an actor, if you're the highest lawyer, doctor, successful person in our culture and other cultures. I don't care. You just, you just don't get it right very often. Yeah, maybe you did a few good things in your life and you made a few good choices and you ended up in a comfortable place. But as far as like, I'm talking eternal size truth, we just don't have a clue. We don't know. That's why it cracks me up when people say that they're atheists. Because are you telling me that you have all wisdom and all knowledge in the universe to come to a conclusion to say that there is no God? You haven't even been outside your continent, probably. And you're going to tell me that you believe there's nothing outside of this world. That's ignorant. It's ignorant. That's putting yourself in the place of God, saying that I'm wiser than God, and I'm going to say, because I have all wisdom and all knowledge, that there is no God. It's foolishness. This was not wisdom given to Peter because he had all wisdom and all knowledge. Was Peter there when the foundations of the earth were laid? No. The Holy Spirit was. So the waters hovered over, or the, the Spirit hovered over the waters in the deep, right? This is something that was revealed to him. It's something that was not conjured up in his own mind. And Jesus says that. He says, blessed are you because my Father has given you this wisdom. Verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. Okay, I want you to listen here, guys. Remember what I talked about at the beginning, okay? Just keep that in your mind. This is gonna be cool. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the what? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. How many times have you guys read that? I've read it a lot. I never got that. Jesus wasn't just sitting on the side of the road and randomly was like, hey, the gates of hell will not prevail. No, Jesus was sitting at the believed gates of hell. This giant 
temple that would have cast quite a shadow to this satanic pagan god Pan, who hundreds of years before that, they would have worshipped Baal there. There's this temple in this giant cave that no one even knew where the bottom of it was yet, and they believed that that was the gates of hell. And Jesus is sitting in this sensually sinful, horrible place with his disciples, and he says, the gates of hell will not prevail. And he points to it. I guarantee it. (laughs) He points to it. Being there was so cool to see this place and to imagine that Jesus could have been right there with his disciples. And he was making a huge point here. What point's he making? We could get into Peter being the rock and all that kind of stuff, but I I don't want to focus on that. What's the point he's making here? Guys, for thousands of years, mankind has tried to capture God's power. They've tried to capture God's power. What do you think they're doing there in Caesarea Philippi when they build this temple? 2,000 years ago, were people that different than us back then? No, not really. Were people that different than us 4,000 years ago? No. In Noah's day, when it was so wicked that God had to completely destroy the earth except for Noah and his family, were they just worse than us? No, they weren't. We're kind of the same. What were they doing there? Okay, why were they building this giant temple to this pagan god that they made up out of thin air that had lamb's feet, or I'm sorry, ram's feet, like legs? What were they doing there? They're trying to control God. They're trying to create a place in which they can meet with God. Why? Because they were, first of all, they were given that desire. We've all been given a desire to meet with God, to be in his presence, to be with him, but we're sinful, we're cursed. So they're trying to create a place to meet with God. I gotta show you guys some slides here, okay? My TV probably shut off and everything, I bet. So when we were in Israel, we went to some places that really represent people's attempt to try to create a place to encompass God's power. Okay, can you guys see that? This is insane. (laughs) This is called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. This is a dome. Okay, you guys seen the Dome of the Rock on, on the news? You probably see it on the news all the time, the big golden dome in Israel. This is bigger than the Dome of the Rock. Okay, this is in Israel. We went here. It's called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and it's basically the Orthodox, the Catholic, and the Eastern Orthodox Church. They, they all split it and take turns doing their worship things there. This is where they believe that Jesus was crucified. This is where they believe he was resurrected. And we don't really know for sure that's where he was crucified or resurrected. We went to a tomb that seemed more promising, a lot more promising than this one. But we went to this church, and you walk in, and it's just huge dome. And there's just people everywhere, and everyone's crowding and trying to get up these tiny little steps. And you go up to tiny little steps, and you have these, all these super gaudy gold stuff all over the place. And, and you have these women with like these garments and stuff that are like rubbing their garments on the walls, and like literally rubbing their face on the walls and on these altar things. What are they doing? <laughs> I mean, you're just kind of sitting there like, this is like a bad rock concert, and everyone has B.O. I mean, this is just, this is weird. What are they doing? They're trying to, they're trying to get God. They're trying to get him. They just rub my garment on him and then take him home, and I have the Lord now, right? Same exact thing that the Muslims are doing when they build their mosque, their holy place that they have to travel to and receive this holy place. The same thing, I'm sorry if this makes you mad, the same thing that people are doing when they go to Florida to receive the Holy Spirit and bring him back. They're trying to capture God. They're trying to do some ritual, some tradition to capture God and take him like this and go with him. These people, they line up. This is the tomb right here where they believe Jesus was 
crucified, and they go through, and only, only the, the Eastern Orthodox Church can go through, and they believe that God lights their candles as they go through. It's just a really creepy and kind of a dark place, right? It's kind of another picture of it there. This is the little altar here where they, where they rub their garments on and things like that, and you just see women lining up waiting to, to receive the blessing from this place. It's just a really crazy thing. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, I'm not, I'm not trying to build a big dome. This is the funniest thing about Israel, right? We're in the place where Jesus walked with his disciples. There's so much history and rich. It's just amazing. Not to mention that, but it's a beautiful place. And what, is the, what does the Orthodox Church do? They come in and they build these giant, ugly churches. It really bummed me. It bummed me out. Like, this is so cool, man. This wall was here when David was here. And, oh my goodness, like, this was the temple. And Herod built that. And Jesus walked over here. And there's a really big, ugly church. I'm <laughs> It's just true. I mean, it, it's, they're gaudy, and they're, they, they burn their incense, and it was just weird. Why? Why are they doing that? They're trying to represent God. They're trying to encompass God with a structure. What is the structure of God? Flip to 1 Peter 2, 4 through 9, really quick. Is it something, is it a giant dome? Is it gaudy metal hanging things with incense and dudes with big robes with ponytails? No. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 9. It says this. Now, Peter, who's Peter? The guy we were talking about, right? The guy that just made this statement about who Jesus is. He says this in his epistle later in his life. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, You yourselves, living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, a cornerstone and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected, Jesus, has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Okay, what is that saying? It's talking about Jesus being a rock of offense, stumbling. That's what we just talked about. We just went through a huge chunk of civilization and how they stumble, they trip over who Jesus is. That's what the Bible said was going to happen, okay? It says that the Romans will think it's nonsense, the Jews, I'm sorry, the Greeks will think it's nonsense, and the, the, the Jews will think they'll stumble over it. Verse 8, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, church, okay, you and I, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. What's Peter saying there? He's giving you goggles to look into the kingdom of God. He's letting you see the eternality of what's happening in God's kingdom. And it's not that, okay? It's not that, it's this. Not the gym, not the lights, not the TV, not the music. It's you guys. You guys are the temple that he intended to build. You guys are the temple that, you are living stones, it says, that you were fitly joined together, that God is forming you eternally to fit together, to be the body in heaven forever. Jesus is our priesthood. Jesus, we don't need the dude in the robe waving incense anymore to bless us. Jesus is our high priest. 
We don't need to wait for the elevator to go up and down on the Sabbath because Jesus is our Sabbath, right? We don't need to go into a giant smelly dome anymore to receive the Holy Spirit or to receive an anointing because Jesus is our anointing and he sent us the Holy Spirit to live within us. We need this. We need fellowship. The Holy Spirit is here. He's here. We don't have to build a bigger church or a bigger mosque than the Muslims so we can show that God's presence is there greater. We don't even have to fight over the Holy Land. Jesus is going to do that for us. We don't need it. We are the Holy Land. We are the eternal dwelling place of God. Do you get that, church? He shows you, he's adopted you, he's saved you, he's paid for your sins, for your transgressions, not just so that you can say Jesus is my homeboy, but so that he could build an eternal dwelling place out of you for his glory forever to dwell, where there's no need of sun because he's in the middle, where it's never cold because he's there, where it's never dark because he's there. Not this. Every structure that we saw, you guys, every structure that we saw was gone. One last thing. Wayne, you're going to like this. You're in this one. This is Wayne. Do you see what he's doing here? That's one stone right there. And it goes about five, ten feet past him that way and another probably 15, 20 feet that way. It's about that tall. It's like two or three buses put together. One giant stone. This was Herod the Great. This was his best attempt at setting up a kingdom here. You want to know where that stone is? It's buried. We had to dig. We didn't have to dig. Someone had to dig. We had to climb down underground to go see that stone, a foundation stone of the Temple of Herod. Who cares about that stone? I mean, it's, it's sweet, don't get me wrong. But that was Herod's best attempt. One of the most powerful, as our guide would say, he had class, right? He, one of the most powerful dudes that did some of the worst things in the world, but one of the most powerful and rich guys, this was his best attempt at building his kingdom on this earth. This was his best attempt at encompassing God's power in this one place, and now it's underground. It's just buried. What did Jesus say? Every stone is going to be knocked off. That's true. The temple's gone. All that's left is a mount. It's gone. That's a big rock. Can I just say that? But it doesn't matter because it's going to go. It's going to burn. Jesus is creating an eternal temple, an eternal dwelling place, and you guys are the stones. And the gates of hell will not prevail against you. You know what else is cool? That place in Caesarea Philippi that was probably once thriving and bustling, it's just a ruin. It's a pile of rocks. You could probably be walking by it and not even notice. There's a few pillars there few carvings in the stone where they used to set little statues of Pan. No big deal. For hundreds of years, people probably just didn't even care about it until archaeologists showed up and started digging it up. Who cares? It's just some ruins. No one cares. You know what God cares about? You guys. His eternal dwelling place. His eternal temple. Not physical temples made with hands. God does not dwell in those temples. He dwells in our hearts. Amen? That was my takeaway from Israel. Um, don't get me wrong, it was a phenomenal and amazing place. You've got to go and see it for yourself. But it made me thankful that the temple of God is not a physical place. <laughs> it's a spiritual dwelling of God's people coming together, um, and his presence dwells there. Let's pray. God, uh, I'm so thankful, Lord, that you saved me, God. I'm so thankful that we have heaven to look forward to. Um, God, every time I think about, speak about, talk about, and I'm reminded of the gospel, I, I have the most peace that I ever have in my life. Lord, there's nothing greater than the understanding that our life was purchased for us. 
There's nothing greater than the understanding that we don't have to perform a certain way to get you to love us. That we don't have to build a giant temple for you to meet with us. God, we can simply just invite you into our hearts. So God, I thank you for heritage, Lord. I pray you would remind us of this, Lord, as we grow larger, um, as we get things more polished, Lord, or whatever, whatever direction we go. I pray that we would never forsake um, your gospel, um, your son, Jesus, for unimportant things that are physical and that will perish and no one will ever remember. <laughs> so Lord, you're more important than all that, God. So bless us, Lord, fill us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.